Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome into the Thursday edition of the show, Scoops with Danny Mac. My name is Dan McLaughlin. My guest this hour will be the Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt. And we'll visit with Mike coming up. And uh, he has been kind enough to join us for quite a while. So we'll have a chance to visit with the Cardinal manager, reflect on 2020, look ahead to 2021 with Mike Schilt. So looking forward to that. 65780, that is the text line, the Air Comfort Service text line. Scott Mangiara is our producer, engineer, extraordinaire. I mean, he he's a, a guy that does the sports updates. He's manning the ship, if you will. Dan, why are you trying to butter me up right now, man? I'm not sure. Pumping my tires. Honest. Pumping my tires too much. Well, you get up early, man. I get up early. Eh, you get what up time early. do you get up for the show? Uh, it depends. Usually like... A little bit before 4.30-ish. What time do you go to bed? I, I've been going to bed early. I haven't been able to stay up for either one of the World Series games. See, I'm, I'm usually asleep at like 9.30. I think that's a problem. I've been saying it for a long time is that, and you know, if you're a young fan of the game, and I say young, and I wonder if there are parents out there that have baseball, softball kids, boys, girls that love watching the World Series that have issue with that uh been thinking about it a lot for instance i was with i'm gonna name drop here ready for a big name I'm, drop i'm ready okay. i was with jim edmonds yesterday Ooh. so we were talking about the world series and i said you know these games take three and a half four hours and so they're starting at you know seven fifteen, whatever sometimes they they start at eight there's been various times that they start and i said you know if you're a kid of the game, you're not seeing it end until if they stay up and it's a school night, it's 11, 1130. And for so many years, it was like the Red Sox or the Yankees, or in this case, it's Tampa Bay. Now, if you're on the West Coast for the Dodgers, it might be perfect. They come from home from school. It's kind of like right in their wheelhouse. They have a little dinner and then boom, the Dodgers exactly. are watching. So for the West Coast, I get it. But for the East Coast, I mean, those fans, and for all those years when they were in the ALCS, which was such a great rivalry, it was great for the sport, it was big market teams, those kids are staying up until 1 in the morning, if they could stay up. That's not good for the sport. You want those young fans to take it in. And I, I just think that's bad. It's not good. You, you want your young fans to see it. Because I think, too, even if you look at the argument of the West Coast watches the game starting at 5 o'clock rather than 4 o'clock, well, is there that big of a difference there? So what if they missed, you know, maybe the first two innings if you're getting home late from work? Yes, there's stuff that can happen. But as a viewer, aren't you a lot more invested in what happens at the end and the final part of the game than you are at the very start? So start the game earlier. I get it. It's about ratings, which is prime time, 7 o'clock. I understand why baseball wanted to get this done before the election. I understand that. But as a fan of the game, so taking those things out, um, I want our young fans to be able to see the conclusion of these games. So if you missed it yesterday, the Rays, even the series, won one. And they finally got the offense from somebody other than Randy Arozarena. And a shot in the left center. Back at the wall. It is gone. Wow has put the Rays on top as he busts out with a first inning game two home run. Brandon's really good. We got a bunch of hitters that have you know been slow here as of late but it, it does take a, a little mental fortitude to be able to withstand 
putting you already put pressure on yourself and you're trying to do the toughest thing in sports and that's to hit a baseball and you're trying to do it against the best pitching in baseball whether it's you know the, the postseason American League or now here the World Series um, you, you, you got to be able to pretty you know be tough-minded and, and Brandon is a, a lot of our guys are and can you, you feel for them when it's not coming uh, as easy as you'd like uh, but you know we owe it to our guys to stick with them uh, and, and you know Brandon, go ahead and get hot now. Feel good about yourself. That's pretty well hit in the left. Back at the wall. It is gone. Second of the night for Brandon Lau. And this is a five to nothing game here in game two. Got a good pitch to hit and I hit it hard. You know, I can't control the outcome once it loses the barrel and I don't go up there trying to hit home runs. You know, I'm going up there and I just, it's pretty difficult to try to hit a ball out of the park from a, a person my size. So uh, I'm going to go up there and, you know, stick with my approach, try to hit the ball hard. He had been awful in this postseason, but last night he breaks out. By the way, his batting practice pitcher won Kevin Cash, his manager. Maybe they have unlocked something. He drives in three, and Blake Snell had a no-hitter going through four and two-thirds, and he was tough last night. I was very confident, you know, that we would show up and be ready to go. I didn't really think that we were like, okay, we really need this one. Uh, well, obviously we do because it's the World Series. You need every win. But I didn't really press myself too much, honestly. I knew I was very confident in myself and my my game plan that I had against these guys. Pitch on the way, a swung on the disc. And down goes Pollock. Blake Snell with another fantastic slider. That is his ninth strikeout. Yeah, I mean, I just had a good game plan for these guys. Um, and I was able to watch them game one. So uh, it gave me a lot more uh, input on what I wanted to do today. Baseball is dying, Danny Mac, from the 314. It doesn't matter when they put it on TV. No, it's not. Look at the local ratings. It's a regional sport, though. It's a regional sport for seven months out of the year. People love it in their hometowns. It becomes part of the fabric of the community. National sport, it's not the national pastime anymore. Football is. We've got football coming up tonight on 101 ESPN. A couple of juggernauts that are in an awful division, the Giants and the Eagles. If you finish under 500, should you go to the postseason? If you're in the division, yeah. No, no. Give it to No, no. If you finish under 500, new rule. That, that division, you're out. Go to a different a wild card. Give me a wild card team that's above 500 in a different division. Now we're keeping we keep them in the division, Danny. No, nope. Give me a wild card from somebody else. Back to baseball, the regional, the city. Okay, it's a fabric of the community. So no, I don't think that baseball is dying. Back to last night, game number two. Key in the game, Kevin Cash. Two things. He's going by the book with what he's doing with his starters. So, you know what he says. All right, Blake Snell, I know you're rolling. You got nine strikeouts, and he was rolling. He was flat-out nasty last night. But he goes to his bullpen, which is so powerful, against a powerful lineup, and they shut the door. I give him credit. I mean, that's a lineup that it's like the 27 Yankees rolling out right now for the Dodgers. It's ridiculous. The other thing is he stick uh, stuck with the guys that got him there. So Lau is a guy that, as I mentioned, had really been – really been struggling in this postseason didn't move him in in the lineup stayed with him and said hey you got us here i'm staying with you and boom a couple of home runs they had to have someone other than a rosarena step up the dodgers are not going to pitch to him nor should they the guy carried them to the world series 
So give Kevin Cash credit. Dun, dun. All of a sudden, even it up 1-1, off day, reset the pitching for tomorrow night. Exactly. I thought I was so excited watching Blake Snell just dominate out there, Dan. And I am not under the belief that broadcasters shouldn't be allowed to talk about a no-hitter or a perfect game. I, I, I want to put you on the spot here, here Dan. I want to yeah. put you on the spot. First of all, have you called a no-hitter? And I apologize yeah. for not for not knowing. Yeah, did I called you, two. Did you mention it or on the broadcast? Well, I, one on radio with Mike Shannon. Bud Smith threw a no-hitter on radio. I was doing it with Mike Shannon against the San Diego Padres, and Bud Smith threw a no-hitter. And, and yeah, we mentioned it multiple times. And I, uh, I had the eighth inning. And I said, Bud Smith, I think will. I, I think I said this. I said, Bud Smith will carry a no hitter into the ninth inning, and Mike Shannon will have the the call of this historic game coming up in the ninth next. You're listening to Cardinal baseball or something like that. Yeah. So, so you're on the same page with me as the broadcaster should be able to say, "Hey, look, Blake Snell, he hasn't allowed a hit yet." Because I was sitting at home saying, "Why well, do it both ways now?" So you're 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 on each side of the fence sometimes. Well, Bud Smith, back in the day, there was no social media, and I was on radio. Now. When I do it, I play with it. I have a little fun with it. So sometimes I'll say there's something special going on right now. And we show it on TV. So you can look on the screen and see the zeros. You may notice, folks, something special happening today here in San Francisco, which is what I did with Jack Flaherty. He had a no-hitter going into the seventh inning, I believe, a couple of years ago. Michael Walker took a no-hitter with two outs into the ninth. Um a few years ago against Washington, and I think I mentioned no hitter. So sometimes I do it just to get it going, you know? Yeah. I, I don't believe in the jinx, and in, I worked with Tim McCarver for many, many years. And Tim, it could be uh, uh, one out in the first, and he'll say, Got a no, no hitter going on, <laughs> just to get people going. He didn't care. He didn't care. So yeah. no, I don't believe in the jinx, but it's fun to, to play with it. I So sometimes I have fun with it. Sometimes I don't. You you are a believer in this? or what? I think I, I, the broadcaster should absolutely talk about it. Yeah. They should. It helps the fan. If you're a fan, you listen to the, the game drama. at home. You're, maybe you're not watching, but it's on in the kitchen or it's on in the family room while you're on your phone. And somebody talks about no hitter. All of a sudden, you're way to the game. Locked in game. Now, when Johan Santana threw a no hitter against the Cardinals... When he was with the Mets, I was mentioning it every other pitch. <laughs> so then every other Cardinal fan was like, yes, Dan, keep mentioning it. This is great. Keep doing it. Yes. You got to break it. It's awesome. And then he threw a no hitter. But technically he didn't because Carlos, it's just before replay and Carlos Beltran pulled a pitch down the third base line that actually was fair, but there was no replay and it was called foul, and then he was out. David Freeze made the final out of that game, I believe. And it really was one of the more emotional games I'd ever seen because the manager at that time, um, Terry Collins, had tears in his eyes because he knew what Johan Santana had gone through uh, physically just to get back to that point. And he was like, I wanted to take him out. I remember talking to him spring training that year in exchange. I said, how hard was that? And he goes, it was the most difficult game I ever managed. I said, really, I wanted to take him out in the fifth of the sixth. But how do you take that guy out when he's got a no hitter? He's already accomplished so much in his career. And he just kept going and throwing through the first no-hitter in Mets history. It was really cool. Anyway, all right, let's tell you about FanDuel. We've got Mike Schilt coming up, and hopefully Mike will stay with us throughout the hour. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Back on 101 this year, Scoops with Danny Mac, and it's a pleasure to have the chance to visit with the Cardinal manager, 
Mike Schilt. Mike, first, uh, I hope that your family is, is well, that you're safe, you're healthy. You're probably taking this time to, to catch up with family and friends. So as you now have a chance to, to kind of reflect a little bit on, on 2020, what, what comes to mind when you think about the St. Louis Cardinals of this last season? Yeah, Danny, always a privilege to catch up with you, my man. Um, there's a lot to unpack from the season, still unpacking it. Um, have taken a little bit of time just to decompress, reconnect. I mean, you always have that when it's the end of every season, but more so this season for a variety of reasons. You know, one, the fact, you know, the last seven weeks of the season, I didn't get a chance to, to physically see um my family, you know, it's a challenge and a lot of people are faced that challenge, but, um, you know, and then of course all the games and, and all the, all the stresses that came with it. Um, so just took a little time to get away from it and, and, um, get back to whatever the new normal is outside of our abnormal baseball world. Um, and, and recently, um, let's say recently within the last 10 days, um, have really started to take a look at, what we did and you know you have a pulse of it as the season goes um i'm a big believer that you know you want to everything is is a kind of a living organism and the teams that are most efficient realize things that are getting a little sideways quick um and and are able to correct it um because if it gets down the road too far you're you know not in a real good spot but um but then you do step back and look at the big picture of what just take place and and um i we as a staff or looking at what we did well and and um, figuring out how we continue to sustain that, um, which we did a lot of things really well, and then looking at things that we didn't do as well or consistently well that um, we just need to figure out the why, as Mr. Kissel would say, as to why that was the case and what we could have done different and better and what, we're, what we need to do better as a team and our, and our, what that looks like from a messaging standpoint, a training standpoint, and then and then peeling it back from an individual standpoint. Did you ever think at some point during the quarantine and, the top, you know, twice you guys were shut down, you're thinking, holy smokes, are we going to get through this? Did you ever allow yourself to go down that road? Yeah, um, briefly. Um, you know, it's, it's a mindset. And, you know, at least for me, it's an important mindset just to keep everything in a in a eye towards the future with a with a both feet in the present um i think i managed that pretty well but to your point there you know you did look up and and especially we had the second setback of outbreaks of of the covid with the club and we were just missing chunks of games and stay and you know removed from even physically being on the field um and then looking at the integrity of the schedule and just the number of days you go, there was a moment there where I really thought it was, it was possible. And I think it was Dan, um, that we were, we might've got shut down. And, um, and that was, that was a little scary. And then clearly we were able to, I mean, the 11th hour, you know, get back into play and, 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 um, and get back to what was a pretty historic schedule. Um, that hopefully no one has to duplicate again. It, it was amazing, and and there was shots of of guys throwing, you know, against mattresses, and and when you got back, Wayno's doing long toss into a net in his front yard. Uh, you had individual workouts with guys stretching with twenty minute intervals outside of Bush Stadium. 
Um, no one has ever had to go through something like that. And as you've always said, there are no excuses. It's big boy time. You get through it, and it's Major League Baseball. But there's still it's amazing that you got into postseason play. So as you talk to your team, not to pull back the curtain too much into private conversations and what mm-hmm. you said to your team, but you had to be proud of, of the fact that you got into postseason play and you were able to take this team and your players to get to that level. Yeah, I mean, you can't. Like you say, we have high expectations. We embrace them. Um, we appreciate them. We don't run from them. Um, under normal circumstances, it's a challenge. Under the circumstances we were in, I'd say it was almost a beyond a challenge, but we met the challenge. And um, that challenge was at every level, every day, and a lot of it. And, and unless you really experience it. And look, everybody, the thing that people can relate to is – and sometimes people have an issue and I don't want to get off track here, but you know, people talk about social justice and, and one of the reasons those things take place is because people aren't aware of other people's plight, what they're dealing with, you know? Okay. And I, I thought of something that's I've made notes recently about, about empathy and, you know, no one can walk in anybody else's shoes, but people can try to understand their path. And some of the reasons we have polarization that takes place is because people don't understand or take the time to understand people's other people's past the point in a long way. I'm getting at Danny is everybody understands the COVID path. Everybody has that relatable experience that, that is a common bond for every single person that that's paying attention to and listen to this show. And so you can, there is some relatability to what we dealt with. Um, and to say it was magnified, I can't say that because other people is having a little, a lot of tough realities in, in our world right now. Our reality was one that, you know, we have a very highly physically demanding um, job with our players and, and mental as well. And a lot of preparation goes into it. And, you know, there's days off for reasons. And we just went through a, a ton. And these guys, and the thing that was so impressive that, I'd like to think would be a good takeaway from anybody listening. And it was for us. And I, I, is there was not one complaint registered amongst our group. And I really know confidently, first of all, it's very impressive. The group of young men. And I told that one of the things, you know, you, you mentioned, I told him, I said, you know, as disappointing as this is because we fought our tails off to get here and we had high expectations um, under the conditions, losing a third of our team, half of our staff, all the different parameters we had to go in, the 11 double headers, um, the fact that nobody complained, nobody pointed a finger, easily could have happened on multiple levels. No one shut down physically or mentally. People rebooted every day physically, mentally, under some very, very unusual trying, taxing circumstances. The fact that you were able to do what you did, and, and you know, we've talked about this, uh, you know, probably, Danny. And I look, I don't expect any parades for it or anything like that, but uh, I, I at least will recognize it is no one's ever done what we did or had to deal with what we did in the history of any sport, much less the, our game of baseball. It just happened. And for that group to go through that is is pretty amazing. There, there's not going to be a book about it. There's not going to be a movie about it. And that's because we didn't win the World Series or, or get there. 
Um, and I, that's understandable. I'm not looking for a book or a movie. That's not the point. But the, is the, the recognition of this group and what they were able to do. I was so proud of it. And the message I said was, you know what? You're going to be a better husband, father, just a good human for the for the way that we learned to go through this together and the character that was displayed and the humility was displayed, grace, the grace that was displayed and the toughness was just every single person in that room was able to learn or share and experience and then live was is, is going to be something more valuable that quite honestly, something that the group individually, I, I, my instinct will be they'll look up in, in three, five, 10, 15 years from now and go, I now can shepherd myself and my family. And, and because of the way I dealt with that experience, cause it could go on either way. There's no doubt. And, and Mike, I know you have a, a, a burning desire to win. Anybody in this industry wants to win. And now you look ahead to 2021. So what did you learn about your team on the field that you think that, okay, we learned some things about our outfielders. We learned some things about a young Dylan Carlson, our young pitching staff, uh, our offense, our defense, our running, whatever, um, that we have to improve upon, or this is something we like going ahead into 2021 as you look at a big picture of St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, the broad strokes of it, Danny. Like I said, we're still unpacking it, but, you know, I've lived it and unpacking it and have a pretty good pulse on it. Um, you know, it's ultimately about experiences that lead to consistency and consistent. Our, our talent level is our talent level. Whatever the front office provides for us, we will do our job, which is our job, as mine primarily have, and our staff is to manage it the best way we know how, develop it, keep it healthy the best we can and and get the most out of it. And what, and how that works is, you know, you, you, is it, is it every day, every game, every opportunity that everyone got, including myself this year was an experience to grow from. And that's one of the things I appreciate and respect so much about our more veteran players because they're still hungry. Yachty, Wayno, Goldie, um, you know, Weeders, Dexter, um, Carr, you know, these guys are, have got their time in, have had a lot of made, made, you know, amazing accomplishments uh, on and off the field and have made a good living, but all of them were really de- dedicated to, to being the best version of themselves and, and being better the next day. <clears throat> and, and my point of saying that is, that's the reason they got to be veterans and have those experiences and they've had made the money they've made. Um, what you hope for is that, you know, everyone, including the, you know, younger players, you know, continue to take advantage of those experiences, take advantage of other people's experience, continue to grow, um, to get to that level of consistency that's going to allow them the best version of themselves to look, you're not going to play Mark D. John, you, we, you know, is our, field coordinator for years and in the organization of the big leagues and just retired and a good friend of both of ours you know he would talk to the pitchers about this and in the minor league and say look you know guys would show up and he goes what do you expect what do you think the manager expects from you what do you think the organization expects from you 
every time you go out to, to pitch. And he was actually talking to a reliever at the time, a group of relievers. And they were like, you know, to be our best every time out. He said, that's not reasonable. You can't be your best every time out. But you need to be close to your best every time out. And every time you walk out of that bullpen or every time a player walks in the field, you, you know what you're going to get most of the time, whether it's a good at bat, consistency with your breaking ball, whatever. Now, your breaking ball someday is going to be really, really sharp and nasty, you know, and some days it's not going to be quite as sharp and nasty, but it's going to be there. It's going to be a tool that's going to be there for you. And that's really all you can ask out of an individual and as a team. And I think we did that for the most part um, in, in areas with our team, and there's areas that, that we need to improve upon. So, you know, moving forward, just continue to push the, the ball uh, forward to, to get the most out of the group and, and ultimately get them to own and, and be that consistent player to, to, to show up with the skill set that every day is, gives, gives them and us a chance to, to compete. Hey, Mike, it's great to have you with us. This is Mike, manager the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals on 101 ESPN. We'll take a quick timeout. Uh, we'll come back with more with the manager of the Cardinals, Mike Schilt on 101 ESPN. While we have a moment, let me tell you about Saliga Heating and Cooling. Saliga has been doing business out of the same location on Gravois since 1927. More with Mike Schilt in just a moment. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Let's continue our conversation with Cardinals manager Mike Schilt. I'm Dan McLaughlin. This is 101 ESPN. Really appreciate Mike uh, for staying through the break and doing this this morning. Uh, Mike, as a guy that has spent a great majority of your professional career in the minor leagues, really curious about your thoughts of a lost minor league season. We know that's where guys develop. And what do you think about the development of minor league players now? A lost minor league season in the short term and the long term effects of what may happen now with 2020. What do you think that may mean in terms of development for baseball players in the future? That's a that's a challenging question. To answer. It's a ch- challenging one because it's unprecedented. Um, I think it clearly it's across the board. Everyone's in the same boat, so it's an even playing field. What I like about even playing fields is where are the nuggets and what are we doing that separate ourselves. You know, this is a a very thin margin business. As you know, the margins are way thinner now in the competitive balance than they've ever been by far. And and that's not to minimize things that were taking place even six, 10 years ago, but the playing field is, is, is much more even now based on the information that's out there and based on how things are operating. Some in a very good way, some, you know, you could question that's another conversation. Um, but so we're always looking for those separating margins. And I'd like to think that we'll create an opportunity, which we've had historically in the past with our player development system to figure out what those separators are. Um, but as far as what it looks like moving forward, I do know there were some really talented, um, players in our, in our camp and some of the younger drafted players that we got a lot of good feedback on. And, you know, we have, really good instructors that were there with them with Jose Akendo being a primary um, leader of that group. And then 
you know, Tim Miller-Beck's done a really nice job as our pitching coordinator um, for several years now to help develop our pitchers and and shepherd that group. So, um, you know, I'm not sure, and I'm not as privy, which is fine. Um, I have a full-time gig, my own, um, <laughs> you know, to to think about and figure out. And, and But, you know, our pipeline of what we do in our player development department is, it's huge to our success as we continue to, to lean on it. And uh, my hope is that we continue to, to have the, the right, right players come through with the right mentality of how we want to, how we want to compete and play winning baseball. Can you explain to all of us outside of what we see with caught stealing um, 2000 hits uh, the fact that fans love the guy He's been um, an icon of the franchise, but what, from your perspective, what Yachty brings to the table that maybe a fan does not see? What does he? What does he do for for Mike Schilt? Um, he sees the game as well as anybody I've ever seen, and that includes other managers. And I will also say this without any reservation: um, he sees the game better than than I do. And, really? Yeah. Yeah, and and that's a that's a now he sees it from a different lens, and I and look, I could get into a longer conversation about about what that looks like, but in the general terms, Danny, um, in the game itself, the intuition, the now is he always right? No, it's it's a game, it's hard, you know, but he's right a lot, and I trust him a ton, um, but he sees things, the nuances of the game on the field. And he's able to, for an example, the double play made. It was unbelievable. In the final, yeah. In the final game um, with the ground ball to Colton, force play at home. And he looks up and realizes that the runner had to stop a little bit for the ground ball. And we had the four to two to, to six double play. Don't see it every day. Um, and so – Stubby goes out, our first base coach, and is talking to Hosmer. And Hosmer says, comes up to him and says, Hey, man, I can't believe I just saw that. <laughs> and Stubby's like, Yeah, we see it almost every night. And Hosmer's like, That guy's got like eight eyes in his head. It's incredible. And that's the best way I can explain it. And, and listen, you know, and I'm not trying to minimize what I see or know or think because. I'm pretty comfortable in what I can see and do. Um, but I'm also will be transparent enough to say, this is a guy that sees things that, that is really just amazing um, on the field. You know, you know, you got to, for my lens, you got a big picture of managing the bullpen and all the different moving parts and, you know, all the different things. So that's a different lens a little bit, but just from a see the game instincts of the game, feel for the game, understand how to play to the scoreboard, being able to, you know, it, it, it's, it, I, I don't, again, I, there's other managers that I've studied. There's other players I've studied and, and, you know, me, Danny, I'm kind of socially challenged and I've, I've uh, pretty much spent my whole life on this sport. Right. And it's the only thing I ultimately speak with any relative confidence about. Um, but been around it a long time and, and, um, so you can't quantify that feel and that that wisdom that that Yachty has, and um, it's it's truly amazing. Um, but he just is 
a student of the game. You know, Clinger Tehran, our bullpen catcher, um, one of our bullpen catchers I had back in 2007. I've known this kid, and he was on a rookie ball club I managed in 2010. That so we won the Appalachian League. He's the fourth coach for me in 2012, the year we won the Texas League. And and him and Yachty are super tight. And um, but he'll go back after games to Yachty's room. And I don't want to talk out of school, but like we'll play a full game and we'll play double headers. And you know, the reason one of the reasons Yachty does, he grew up with it. He's got brothers about it. You know, he, but he just loves the game. He's got a passion for studying the game. And he'll go back and me and KT will we usually do a little workout or something or talk before every game and and just kind of catch up a little bit about the night before's game or just stuff, you know. And uh, I'll say, well, what'd you do? And they go back every game and they'll watch games from 2004 it's unbelievable so why don't other games on the west coast i mean and that's um and that's a that's a you know when you talk about elite people and minds you know you can't have enough of them and he's got a he's got one of the best i'll wrap it up with this a lot of different rules in the game in 2020 did you like him didn't like him what do you think we should keep or maybe eliminate looking forward um I'd, I'd, if we're going to be in a world that we're in now, I think the double headers of seven innings make a lot of sense. I don't know how we look, you would have figured out a way to do it. I wouldn't have, it was a challenge enough for our players to, to get through 11 double headers in basically, you know, 40 days or whatever it was. Um, so I didn't mind. I think that's, fair and i think seven innings can be a representative game you know you look at the numbers with teams that are leading after the seventh and a high percentage of the team that's winning after the seventh i mean this the raise i mean pretty amazing 63 and oh after the seventh inning with a lead um which is it really is amazing but um they're well put together club but um yeah i didn't mind that the extra inning rule i'm fine with that too you know i don't think there's any necessary you know, we don't need to play 15 innings. You play because I really like the idea that it's about execution and the extra innings. And I'm a big execution guy. And if you can, there's a lot of different variables that come into play offensively, whether you're going to hit behind a runner, whether you're going to get a bunt down, whether you can drive in a runner from third with less than two outs. I think those are all good fundamental things that are healthy for our game. Um, and people like to see. And then defensively, you know, are you going to uh, also offensively going to steal a base? Can you steal a base? Um, should you steal a base? Should the guy be on green light? Uh, and then defensively, you're going to run a bunt play. Is he going to get him over? Um, where do you play your outfield? You know, what's our bullpen look like? So I think there's, I, I, I had thought was, you know, a positive thing for the game. I didn't, and, and you know, I'm a baseball purist. I don't think it's um, interrupting the integrity of the game. Um, I actually think it can speak to the integrity of the game with the situational stuff I talked about. Um, I, I don't, I don't love the three batter minimum. Um, I, I understand it. It's in, inter- I, I think it was to shorten the game and then the games went two minutes longer this year. Yeah. So exactly. I, so I don't really, you know, you know, and there were times quite honestly, you know, we were one of the top teams in, in 19, to maximize what I think is maximizing your bullpen. Everybody's got their own philosophy, how that looks like. Anyway, we, we were pretty aggressive with, with being able to match our guys up. So my point is we had a, a 
one of the higher percentages of people that made three or less, you know, uh, you know made appearance with three or less batters. And um, it works. There were times in the, in the season that I'm sure everybody would have liked to got hamstrung by it. Um, there was definitely times in the playoffs that, you, you know, you felt like, especially in a short series, you got hamstrung by it. Um, but, hey, like I mentioned earlier about the player development and you mentioned about the, you know, the minor league season being canceled. Everybody's with the same playing field, and uh, I'm not going to complain about it. You asked me the question. You asked me my opinion. Um, but I'm not going to complain about it, and I've got to figure out. And I think we did manage it pretty well. Our bullpen was one of the better bullpen. And there were just some situations where you just know this isn't, this isn't a great situation to either send a guy back out or, you know, this guy's really could be used for this particular guy here. And then the next guy could get this guy and you go, man, I got these two great or three great matchups to bring this game home. And I can't do it because only one guy can has to do the job of what two or three were you could potentially get away with. Sure. Um, so anyway, I don't particularly love it, but it is what it is. Hey, the next time you talk to Tony the Russo, let's convince him to take the job if it's offered. OK, I've talked to Tony. I want him in. Let's go. I, I want him think, in. I don't think you're going to twist Tony's arm. Oh, good. I want him I in. I don't know. We'll see. Tony's a grown man. He'll figure it out. <laughs> hey, Mike, you did an amazing job. You know I mean that from the bottom of my heart because I know what was going on behind the scenes. Amazing, amazing job. So congratulations on a good year to get the Cardinals to postseason play and look into even better things in 2021. And can't wait to see you in person, man. I missed, missed not being able to connect with you in your office and down on the field, in the dugout, all those things. And, and thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my privilege, Danny. Preaching my brother. I miss you too, man. I look forward to catching up again. One of the really good people with the St. Louis Cardinals does an amazing job, did a great job this year. Can't say it enough. That's the manager. Mike Schild of the St. Louis Cardinals. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Many thanks to Mike Schild for his time this morning. I'm sure we'll get to the text line and uh, with Ribs and BK and some of the reaction to that. But uh, we've got Ribs BK coming up next. What you got, my man? Well, we got uh, we got Floyd Reese, former Tennessee Titans yeah. GM. We got our own Joey Vitale, who's always a lot of fun. He's to have. never in a good mood. He's, never. And you never know what you're getting from Joey, <laughs> right. which I love. Uh, we got Ben Heisler, fantasy nice. football expert, and we got Carl Ravage from ESPN Baseball. We're going to talk a little bit of the World Series today, bud. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Ribs BK. Scotty, great job. This is 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.